James Maynard, your co-host. When you buck a big hierarchy like the Catholic Church, you can expect a fight. But perhaps the Vatican didn't expect the fight back. Meet Rebecca Parrish, director of the inspiring film Radical Grace, which documents the struggle between U.S. nuns and the Catholic hierarchy. The film focuses on three remarkable nuns, including Simone Campbell, who was interviewed on Inside Out on June 30th, and and then prior to Pope Francis, the Vatican launched an inquisition into American nuns and their social justice agenda, and it put a male bishop in charge of reforming them. The nuns and their allies pushed back. Ultimately, Pope Francis called off the investigation and thanked the sisters for their dedication. This story transcends religion and women's rights. It's part of the inner revolution against mindless conformity and for the needs of real people. We're thrilled to introduce you today to director Rebecca Parrish. You'll discover the story behind this film, Rebecca's personal story, and how making the film changed her. And now, here's Beth from the Inside Out. Hi, welcome to Inside Out. I am so excited to have Rebecca Parrish with us. I talked to her once on the phone. Oh, it seems like 100 years ago, but it was probably just a few weeks. <laughs> and so much has gone on since we had that brief conversation. And I, there are so many things I want to know about, Rebecca, and you're going to hear all about it because Radical Grace is a fabulous film. I mean, it's so touching. I cried from the beginning to the end, and I know a lot of other people did too, including the reviewer at RogerEbert.com. He himself said he was moved to tears. So that's very cool. But before we introduce you to Rebecca... And she tells us the story behind the story because I want to know who this woman is, you know, where she came from. And also want to tell you about some of the exciting things you can do in relation to Radical Grace wherever you are. But first, here's James with the news of the Inner Revolution. Thank you, Beth. Uh, first of all, uh, the first item we have is that Sakina Yakubi, an Inner Revolutionary and next week's guest from Afghanistan, has launched a new radio station there and writes us the following letter. Dear Beth, a remote village now has water after an elder calls in to Radio Mirage, which is the name of her radio station. A teenage girl decides that she's going to college after listening to our programs. Another one says, I listen to your radio station and the peaceful music every night and am eagerly awaiting the day when you start a TV station. This is from a Herat government official. The station already has 10,000 listeners, broadcasts in eight districts, and has 900 Facebook followers so far. And she further writes, My vision was that Radio Mirage would one day change Afghanistan, but I couldn't have dreamed that it could happen so quickly. Every day listeners call in, ask questions, give comments, are empowered after listening to our station. I invite you to read the attached report about the amazing progress of my radio station in just two months. Warm regards, Sakina. And she attaches a link. And if you'll just Google Radio Mirage, that's M-E-R-A-J, you can read the latest report about that station. This is so exciting because, um, you know, the inner revolution is about us accepting and realizing and acting upon our oneness and seeing that we're all one. And it's about taking accountability for our 
the, the impact of our behavior on ourselves and one another. And it's about becoming mutually supportive, which means we support the whole and the whole supports us. And what is happening in Afghanistan is amazing how many traditional hierarchical things are breaking down. Now, Sakina, who's going to be on our show next week, I mean, she was there un- opening 80 underground schools in Afghanistan under the Taliban uh, under you know threat of death. And that was not that long ago. Guys, what can we do without those kind of threats, with the kind of resources we have. So we got a little more Afghan news today, but this is just whetting your appetite for what we're going to be talking about next week. Take it away, James. Okay, our next item is also about Afghanistan. From the Washington Post, July the 28th of this year. And the title is, Poised to Make History, a Judge in Afghanistan Hits a Familiar Wall. Afghanistan's U.S. educated president, Ashraf Ghani, nominated Anissa Rasuli to become the country's first female Supreme Court justice, carrying out an election promise. It was a landmark choice in a country where only 14 years ago, the Taliban Islamist regime banned women from work, education, and other parts of public life. And oh yes, they fired all the female judges. They were forbidden from even leaving their homes without a male relative in a head-to-toe burqa. Actives here and abroad were ecstatic about the fact that uh, the president had nominated this woman to be on the Supreme Court. And this, that this could be an antidote to a growing concern, the erosion of gains in women's rights. But then Afghanistan's influential Islamic clerics, as well as some male lawmakers, declared that a woman was not fit to try serious criminal cases. And this, and this even though, even though uh, Rasuli had been a judge on a penal court. That's a criminal penalty court. Still, there were 69 female members in the Afghan parliament which had to ratify Rasuli's appointment, providing good odds for her to make history. But when the body met to vote this month, 23 female lawmakers were absent. Boo! (laughs) And Rasuli said, if the women were there, if they had voted for me, I would have won. And she would have, because she only lost by nine votes. Rasuli had built a reputation for honesty in a judicial system widely viewed as corrupt. All this is to say that Rasuli was perhaps the most qualified judge to join the Supreme Court. But she's a woman. Now Rasuli and other women's rights activists are lobbying Ghani, President Ghani, to nominate another woman to the Supreme Court. They say Rasuli's loss by such a small margin has given them hope that next time they will succeed. I will not give up the fight, Rasuli said. A legitimate fight is the most righteous thing you can do in life. Now, isn't that touching? You know, uh, a legitimate fight is the most, what was it? What did you just say, James? Most <laughs> the righteous most, thing you can do in your life. The most righteous and the most satisfying. I want to tell you, I just did a new video that's on YouTube on our Beth Green TV channel. If you go to YouTube, just put in Beth Green TV and you'll get to it. And our, my latest video on the inner revolution is about the fight of our lives is the inner revolution. And it's about how we all really are suffering from the hierarchy, from the painful ways that we behave, that, that we've been trained to be, and that we really are fighting for our lives, our spiritual, emotional, as well as physical lives to actually start 
to stand up to things that are clearly unjust, that are not based on oneness. I mean, clearly, it's you cannot have a perspective of oneness and keep a, a woman off a of court because she's a woman. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And our guest today, Rebecca Parrish, is really all about that, and you'll see that as well. But what is so touching about this story is that these people are not giving up, and we all need to have that attitude. We can't take a defeat and go down with it. We just have to keep on fighting. Okay, James, and? Okay. Further news from Afghanistan. This from MSN News, entitled A Mighty Girl. A group of Afghan men marched in Kabul recently to call attention to women's rights by wearing head-to-toe blue burqas. Don't you love that? I just want to stop you for a second. Don't you love that? A bunch of men go out in the street wearing these ridiculous outfits Covering themselves, I shouldn't call them. I mean, some people probably want to wear them, but a lot of the people are just forced, women are forced to wear them. Covering themselves from head to toe. The men are acknowledging their oneness with women by going out and protesting on our behalf, on women's behalf, but really on behalf of everybody. So please continue. Yes. And, of course, these blue burqas were a highly visible symbol of women's oppression during the years of Taliban control and one that is still commonly seen in Afghanistan today. One marcher explained his participation in this unusual protest. I walked the streets today in a burqa to understand how my sisters and mothers face violence from men on a daily basis. I wanted to understand the situation. The march was scheduled in advance of the celebration of International Women's Day. Our authorities will be celebrating International Women's Day in big hotels, but we wanted to take it to the streets, stated 29-year-old activist Basir. They carried signs with slogans such as, Women's pain is our pain. Equality is our slogan. We say no to all forms of violence, and don't tell women what to wear. You should cover your eyes. (laughs) I love that. Several reported that wearing a burqa felt like a prison. (laughs) There had been other protests as well. I, I love this story. I love the story. And, you know, when we get to the Radical Grace story, uh, the men's group of the innerrevolution.org, which is my organization, is supporting the screening of Rebecca's video. Uh, it's not a video. It's a, it's a film, film. But I'm so <laughs> video-oriented. Uh, yeah, Radical Grace. And they're talking about why they're supporting it. And I th- think it's so important to realize that it hurts men. When we hurt women, we hurt men. as well. So we have a couple more stories from Closer to Home. And now, uh, Closer to Home in the U.S. on the issue of climate change, here's an article entitled, a news item entitled, These Kid Climate Activists Are Winning. This is from MSNBC, July 29th. The kid climate activists of Washington State, currently suing over the state's carbon emission goals, claimed a big victory Tuesday when Governor Jay Inslee directed regulators to cap emissions and curb them 50% by mid-century. Quote, this was no random burst of executive action. The governor's announcement follows a groundbreaking ruling last month, a legal decision that still has the feel of a half-baked Hollywood plot point. It began when a group of kids convinced their government was not doing enough to slow global, global warming and they turned to the courts to pressure their governor and protect the future. They petitioned the state to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The state initially declined, but a judge agreed with the kids, asking the State Department of Ecology to reconsider the petition. 
It marked the first time a court had ordered a state regulatory body to consider the best available science and to do its part to address climate risks. Regulators were given until August the 7th to come up with a response, but Governor Inslee seems to have beaten them to it. Known as one of the greatest, one of the greenest governors in the country, he held a 90-minute meeting with five of the kids, ages 11 to 15, in his <laughs> office less than two weeks ago. They asked for his support. As far as the kids are concerned, Inslee just delivered it. Our Children's Trust had organized the lawsuit, and the Oregon-based nonprofit has spearheaded similar lawsuits in all 50 states and against the federal government. Each of those legal efforts has fallen short one way or another until now. The victory is based on an emerging legal framework in the fight against climate change. The idea that the kids have a constitutional right to a clean and healthy atmosphere. What a concept. Really? <laughs> this approach treats nature as a public trust, protected by government, paid to future generations. The same principle allows states to regulate fishing and hunting. Well, don't you love this story, too? Look at the inner revolution that's taking place on our planet. You know, men getting out there, demonstrating for women's rights, and kids are actually speaking their minds about something that, of course, is going to impact them, but really shows you that the kids today have a consciousness that they also have a voice, that they belong, that they're not, well, I mean, when I was growing up, it was children were supposed to be seen and not heard, and it was perfectly legal to rape your wife and beat your children. And, you know, there has been a change, and we're seeing this showing up, the degree of confidence that young people are having, you know, the power that people have developed through social media and now through organizing is absolutely amazing. And I want to tell you that later on, I think it's September 10th, we are having on a, a kid climate activist named Shu Tescott. And uh, Shu Tescott has been also organizing kids about climate change. He's a hip hopper. And, and he's uh, only 15 years old. He's only 15 years old. And he's already um, addressed the United Nations three times on the subject of climate change. <laughs> so he's going to be our guest later in September, so stay tuned. Now we have one more piece of inter-revolutionary news. Yes, this item from the New York Times, uh, June 20th. Uh, speaking as a former attorney, when we always considered uh, earthquakes as acts of God, an Oklahoma court has just ruled that homeowners can sue oil companies over earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> the Oklahoma Supreme Court ruled recently that homeowners who have sustained injuries or property damage from rampant earthquakes they say are caused by oil and gas operations can sue for damages in state trial courts, rejecting efforts by the industry to block such lawsuits from being decided by juries and judges. The state typically had just one or two quakes of magnitude 3.0 or higher per year. But during a boom in fracking over the past decade, the number has steadily and sharply risen to 585 last year. When the wow. lawsuits were filed, top officials in Oklahoma were steadfastly insisting that the link between quakes and disposal wells was not clear. But in April, state leaders did an unexpected about-face and embraced the scientific consensus. They even created a website that cited a determination by the state's geological survey that, quote, the majority of recent earthquakes in central and north-central Oklahoma are very likely triggered by wastewater disposal wells. Well, let me just interrupt you because I want to bring on Rebecca before we go to our first com uh, commercial break. Oh, I'm finished. But this is... 
Yeah. This is such an important story because this is, again, showing a shift in our consciousness that we're not letting these companies uh, get away with it. Uh, Oklahoma has been owned by these, uh, you know, oil industry. And uh, it's amazing that this is uh, taking place. Um, so anyway, it's a wild world we live in. And I want to introduce you to Rebecca Parrish because... I want to know where this wild woman came from <laughs> and how she came to do this great film. But we're not going to be able to hear a lot about it before we go to break. But first, I want to welcome you. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. So great to be with you. Well, let me ask you something because we're just finishing up the news and it seems kind of odd and there's not enough time to go into the depth of your story. But how do you feel listening to all this exciting news about people changing yeah, I mean, I was thinking, listening to you talk through the news um, about how wonderful it is to hear news framed in this way. Um, you know, so much news that we get is is just about what's negative and, and horrible that's happening. But to get these little bites of, of change that people are making and, you know, it's it's inspiring and uplifting and gives you hope. Yes, it sure does. And it also lets you know that you are not alone. You know, mm-hmm. I bet there were moments in your life when you thought you were just a little nut off the tree. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> but you are not alone. So, guys, we're going to go to commercial break. But stick around because we have a great show coming. We want to hear all about Rebecca Parrish and this fantastic film, Radical Grace, and what you can do to help support the inner revolution. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Revolutionize your life and your world with a new attitude and a new way of being. Learn how at www.theinnerrevolution.org. At Beth's website, you will find effective tools, processes, teachings, and more to help you become the person you want to be and co-create the world you want to live in. Sign up for Beth's newsletter and get a free PDF of her comprehensive book, Living with Reality, a manual for living with real answers and proven tools. Book a private 15-minute consultation with Beth that will astound you with its depth and transformative power. Learn about Beth's other books, YouTube channel, School of Intuitive Counseling, music, upcoming workshops, trainings, and remarkable community theinnerrevolution.org, which offers all kinds of help, including low-fee counseling and free support. The Inner Revolution requires us to heal our hearts and awaken our minds. Find both at Beth's website, theinnerrevolution.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You're tuned in to Inside Out, The Inner Revolution, with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to Inside Out, The Inner Revolution. Welcome back to Inside Out. Today we're talking to Rebecca Parrish, who is the director of a film 
called Radical Grace, which documents the fight between the Vatican and the American nuns. And when I say it was a fight, I, I, I mean it really was. But it wasn't started by the sisters. Well, I guess you could say it was started by the sisters because the sisters went ahead and they did what they thought was right. They asked for divine guidance and they got that they should follow a social justice agenda. And this is pretty much, uh, you know, throughout the American nuns. And the Vatican didn't approve and the old hierarchy came down on them and said, hey, you know, you've got to toe the line and be talking about doctrine and forget about this healthcare business. And, and they were under investigation for years. And this film, I believe, Rebecca, were you filming this for three years? Um, yeah, it may be about four years, actually. Research started in 2010. Um, so, yes, so Re- quite a Rebecca, while. Rebecca got to see the whole thing, the whole, <laughs> what the women went through, how they responded to it, what they, what they went, the pain that they went through, the anguish, and the fight. They also didn't give up the fight. But before we get into the story itself, Rebecca how the heck did you get into this? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I had a very strong interest in, you know, the, the activist approach of, of spiritual activism. Um, and this really came out of my experience as an activist in college where you saw a lot of the, the same kind of hurtful dynamics, the same um, ego-centered, competitive dynamics that, that are so ingrained in all of us, um, mm. really hurting our movements. Um, and I was lucky enough to take a class in college um, on socially engaged Buddhism, and I got to learn about the work of Thich Nhat Hanh and others. So through that, I saw, okay, there's, I, I'm starting to see a different way. Mm. Um, and then I started to also realize that the moments when I felt, as, as an agnostic, you know, as a person who's not affiliated with a, with a religious institution and doesn't have a lot of that context from my own life, um, I realized that the, the most spiritual moments for me were when I was doing justice work. So that was kind of the background for me. And then a friend um, who had worked with some sisters to develop a school for people who were coming out of prison um, to finish to finish high school. Um, this this friend mentioned that she had worked with these sisters and that you know these sisters were some of her her best friends. And I was pretty pretty surprised uh, because my <laughs> <laughs> my image of nuns was the stereotype. Yeah. Um, was the media stereotype that you know you you get from Sister Act or the Flying Nun or um, you know Blues Brothers. And uh, so I really had no idea about how American nuns had and tra- these communities had transformed themselves um, actually in less than a generation um, to really be, you know, this very um, communitarian um, and justice oriented group of women. Um, I mean, many of them, you know, did enter their communities because they wanted to do good work from the beginning, but but they had a much more of a, oftentimes a more of a, a obe- obedience to hierarchy kind of a framework. Yeah. Um, and, and then after the Second Vatican Council, they, they really transformed themselves in, in less than a generation. Um, so I learned about that, about that history, and then, and, and, and who these women are today. 
um, and just be kind of, as I got to meet more and more of the sisters, just really, you know, agreed with my friend that the story needed to be told. And, and I hope that, you know, as a, as a seeker that, that I could grow from it as well, you know, from the experience of telling their story. Was uh, Jean Hughes one mm-hmm. of the sisters that your friend knew? Yes. Who was working? And she is one of the three featured sisters in this film. What's so mm-hmm. beautiful about the film is that it, it takes, on, one of the things that's so beautiful about the film is that it takes on these big topics, but it expresses it through the intense scrutiny of a few women and what they personally went through. So you really feel a connection. And uh, Sister uh, Jean died during the making of this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, uh, she didn't uh, get to hear the exoneration of the nuns, did she? Well, there were two, there were two investi- Vatican investigations. Um, and one of them concluded in December of last year. And then the other one concluded early this year. So the one that concluded last year, um, and which and and they're both, you know, the story of both of these these conclusions is in the film, um, and and the Vatican's turnaround. Um, when that happened, Jean was um, in the intensive care uh, mm-hmm. unit of the hospital, um, and you know, not really able to respond with more than her eyes. Um, mm. And I, I visited her um, and, and told her about what I had seen um, from the, the report on the investigation and, and how surprising it was. Um, and, you know, I wasn't always sure that she was fully conscious, but she, she, she looked at me really uh, just the intensity of, in her eyes when I told mm. her about it. Mm-hmm. Um, led me to think that she was able to hear me and that at least she was able to hear um, some of this positive news. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I mean, you, uh, th- there are three extremely different women. And, you know, Jean is this really old woman. <laughs> and I can say that because I'm a, an old woman. She's this really old woman, and she was just appalled at the censure of the nuns. And she was so shaken by the whole experience, she was really questioning mm-hmm. her, you know, staying in the church, which mm-hmm. was everything to her. I mean, she'd been in it for so long. Mm-hmm. And um, so you really go into, you feel her pain, and you feel how damaging this investigation was to her personally and how shattering and yet uh, all together the women you know they fought back along with their allies and you know the second woman in the uh, film that you feature is sister simone campbell and she responded with the nuns on the bus campaign and (laughs) we interviewed her in june Uh, Mm -hmm. amazing woman who's like talking the inner revolution without using those words. It's really about oneness, accountability, and mutual support, you know, and I I so appreciate what you're saying, too, about activism, Rebecca, because I started as a political social activist very, very early in my life, and that was a long time ago, and I got burnt out by the anger and ego 
of the uh, of politics and the whole movement. And I gave up at the end of the 1970s, 1978. I had a spiritual awakening and started to call for spiritual activism. But now what is happening is so surpassing anything I could have dreamed because it's just in people's DNA to do this. Were you... Um, it, was your family activist? Where are you from Canada originally? Oh, no. Um, are you thinking that because we had our premiere at Hot Dogs oh, in Canada? Yes, yes, yes. No, I, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia um, for the first chunk of my childhood, and then we moved um, to a suburb of San Francisco. So now I'm, I'm from across the United States. <laughs> oh, I see. And now you are in Chicago. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I was confused, but then I am easily confused. <laughs> <laughs> Call it my age. So, um, so were you? Yes, my, my family, my parents, my parents are activists. I mean, they're they're very involved in um, m- more the electoral process and working for change that way. So, um, my mom was a campaign manager for a long time, um, and so I definitely, you know, that. All of these social social issues were always a topic, um, you know, in our in our household, and it was something we were supported to to work for change that we believed in. I think that's fabulous. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's fabulous when you go against the grain, like so many of us had to, when you had to fight everything and everybody. But it's so much better when you don't, <laughs> mm-hmm. when you have that support. So, how did they feel about you? kind of moving into this spiritual activist frame of mind, even though you're still an agnostic? Mm. Um, you know, I think that they, I, they like it. I, you know, I think they, they, they don't, I don't think they fully, you know, identify with it or, or want to get always that deep into it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think overall, they think it's a good thing, you know, um, but they're, yeah, they're not quite as, um, drawn to the level that I am, I guess you could say. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, when we sort. talk about consciousness, like oneness and accountability and mutual support and courage and self-awareness, you don't have to be religious mm-hmm. to see that. I mean, there is some essence of consciousness and spirituality that is really universal if we all look in our own hearts and say, so, you know, right. what do I really believe in? So what has happened to your spirituality as a result of this mm. experience with the nuns? Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the things that I say is that, you know, I, I'm not a person of faith, but, but sometimes I wish I was. And so <laughs> I like to hang around people who are so that, you know, that they might rub off on me. Um, but, <laughs> but really what that means for me is, is just that, you know, I find... I've found that when, when I'm with people who've done a lot of spiritual work in whatever yes. form, whether it's from a religious yes. tradition or not, um, you know, there's just a certain energy they have, groundedness, um, and just, you know, being with them is, is a lesson. Um, and so that's what I could see in the sisters. And, and because their expression of their spirituality and their faith is so embodied by their their justice work and their their work to sort of create wholeness amongst all of us. Um, I could identify with that, um, and it really didn't matter to me whether we shared necessarily the exact same um, religious belief system. 
but there was yeah. something, a spiritual connection um, that was much more powerful and important than any of that. You know, you could declare yourself spiritual. Sure. Yes, I do. I mean, I do see myself as, I mean, you know, one of those labels people use is a, a, a spiritual but not religious or a soulful yeah. skeptic or something <laughs> like that. So, Well, you know, I, as much as I get angry with God or whatever is up there, I, I, I can't appreciate that there is a divine intelligence that can help guide us. And that's what I count on. It's like in all of my work, I always say, all right, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And uh, it doesn't matter how angry I am at God. I always listen because I know there's divine intelligence that, that's larger than my own. <laughs> I think mm. that is part of what uh, shifts you when you ha- are into spirituality. It doesn't have to be God. It, we can call it higher consciousness, higher power, whatever, that we know that there's something beyond our individual egos that if we can just tap into it, we will be able to move mountains together. And so how did you drag around for four years with the camera? I I have to, I've got to get this. I got to get this straight. I see a woman with a camera on her shoulder, not eating, not sleeping and not working for a living for four years so she can get the story. How did it actually happen? (laughs) Um, well, some of these things are accurate, so (laughs) much of this is accurate, um, to, 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 you know, varying degrees. Um, so yes, the camera equipment is, is heavy. Um, and I'm a small woman, you know, I'm not, uh, all the camera, the cameras are built for men. Um, and I'm not built like that. So, um, God, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Did you say the cameras are built for men? I mean, if you look at their size and their yes, shape. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, I mean, get it. I get it. I, yeah. I never thought about that. A new campaign. I know. Yeah, it's true. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's go on with the story. But there is already, I could see something, you know, women filmmakers for lighter cameras. Mm-hmm. And, well, and cameras are getting lighter now. Um, oh, good. But... You know, it's it it change takes time. I guess you could say, um, yeah. in this case. So um, yeah, so that's true. Um, and it definitely, you know, I I've, I've supplemented um, the film work with you know work on this film. I I also do other work, so that helps with the the income. I I work for, I do work for a nonprofit, so I make sort of mini documentaries for for nonprofit organizations. Um, as well as doing work on other people's independent films. So that's, that's part of how I can, you know, support myself financially, um, because definitely this film was not um, an easy film to, to make and fundraise for, both because it was my first film, and I think also because a lot of the funding that's out there um, for social issue documentary films yes, yes. Is, is really geared towards... Um, a different type of film, um, films that are more closely tied to a particular issue that then the film can be leveraged for legislative change, for example, um, oh. or for a, a boycott or, you know, um, when you, I feel like, I think that the, this, this story in terms of what it's really at, about at its deepest level is so, um, broad and but also 
you know, it's, it's more, the spiritual change is much more amorphous than that. And it's hard to measure um, and, and to do all the things that funders like <laughs> around it. Oh, my God. Change. Oh, my God. Can I identify with that? You know, we have a nonprofit corporation, the innerrevolution.org. We founded it uh, as a nonprofit back, I don't remember when we got our nonprofit status, but try to get funding for an organization that's trying to impact consciousness and says, consciousness is our number one problem. If we could solve the problem of consciousness, we could solve all the rest of our problems. And they said, well, you know, how do you measure that? And (laughs) I can totally understand what you go, what you went through. And you are so admirable. Let me just share a little bit about the third nun who was featured is uh, sisters, Chris Gink. And she, Shank, yes. Shank. Thank you. She is the one I told you, I have a brain like a sieve, a memory like a sieve. She is the one woman who's going out there and talking about gender equality in the Catholic Church. And she was mm-hmm. demonstrating how there's archaeological evidence that there were women very active in the Catholic Church as bishops, perhaps, all, all the way back when. And that what we take as being the gospel is that it's only men is really not even hasn't been true for all these years you know anything that happens that you have been growing up with you think has always been there but it it, it hasn't so she also had a very exciting story so these are three very different women and talk about what you had to go through to make this film i mean you're in italy you're in uh you're traveling on a bus uh you're in all these different geographic places did you ever want to give up Give, oh, sure. give me a one-word answer, okay? <laughs> We're going to go to commercial break, and I want to hear about that, oh, sure, because I feel that way sometimes, too. So stick around. There's lots more on Inside Out. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Revolutionize your life and your world with a new attitude and a new way of being. Learn how at www.theinnerrevolution.org. At Beth's website, you will find effective tools, processes, teachings, and more to help you become the person you want to be and co-create the world you want to live in. Sign up for Beth's newsletter and get a free PDF of her comprehensive book, Living with Reality, a manual for living with real answers and proven tools. Book a private 15-minute consultation with Beth that will astound you with its depth and transformative power. Learn about Beth's other books, YouTube channel, School of Intuitive Counseling, music, upcoming workshops, trainings, and remarkable community, theinnerrevolution.org which offers all kinds of help, including low-fee counseling and free support. The Inner Revolution requires us to heal our hearts and awaken our minds. Find both at Beth's website, theinnerrevolution.org. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You're tuned in to Inside Out, The End of Revolution, with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to Inside Out, The Inner Revolution. Welcome back to Inside Out. Today, we are talking to Rebecca Paris, the director of the film Radical Grace. And quickly, could you tell me what you do about your discouragement? Because I want to get to the exciting positive stuff. Because we, uh, mm-hmm. Rebecca was just talking about how difficult it was for her to get any funding for this film. And, oh, my God, I don't know how she had the nerve and the stamina to put it together. This could not have been an easy or cheap thing. And then... Uh, I'd like to talk about the incredible support that there is now for this film. So take it away. A word about discouragement for all of those inner revolutionaries out there who feel discouraged at times or are even too discouraged to get started. Mm. Well, I think a huge thing is really just the team, you know, the team that I had around me um, Mm. that, you know, we all might be discouraged at different points, but Luckily, it was often not at the exact same time <laughs> so, that, so that we could support each other, you know, um, yeah, in those moments. And, and also, you know, um, I, you know, colleagues who had been through this before, our executive producer, Danny Alpert, has made many films. And so I think in any, in any documentary and in, in so many other creative endeavors as well, it doesn't, the film doesn't work for a long time. Right. It's a it's a rough yeah. cut. It's a it's a yeah. it's a work in progress. And it, it yeah. doesn't you can't just sit down and watch it. And it's not it's not a good movie yet. Right. Um, so you have to go through this whole long, long period of time. And also in the filming and in the gathering of material, there's so much uncertainty. So I think the more that you've d- gone through it and come out the other side and, and you know that it will come together eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that it's good to have people with that that perspective around. Well, I'm so happy that you had a good team. And did you put that team together? Yes. Yeah, and, and just other, <laughs> other filmmakers in the area and, you know, our small small filmmaking community in Chicago. Oh, my God. And they just, some of them said, yes, I love this idea. Yeah, so one of our um, producers on the film, you know, grew up and went to a Catholic school was educated by nuns. She had, you know, from her own life experience, she was drawn um, to this story. Her name's um, Nicole Bernardi Race. And and the school she went to was actually run by the same order that uh, Sister Jean, one of our subjects, um, comes from. So that was just a nice coincidence. That is a nice coincidence. That is so cool. Well, I want to say that even though you did not get funded, and by the way, uh, Susan Sarandon came on as executive producer after this film was made, was didn't she? Correct, yeah, right at the okay. very end. But yeah, and thank, she thankfully she, just in time for the credits. Just in time. <laughs> but you know, that's that's really gives you credibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and that's you know, someone of her caliber could see the value and uh, you know, the film is just so beautiful. It's not just that it's a great story, it's that it's so well made. I would never have guessed this was your first film. I mean, when I look at my first video, well, I don't even want to discuss it. So, but of course you went to schools. So I'm not going to compare, but, but I, I was very impressed with the beauty of the film and the way it moved and how you interspersed the story and it, you built it and the tension and it was great. And I loved the interview with the bishop. Well, we don't want to give uh, too much of the film away because we want to make sure that you get to see it. But now what I want to tell you guys is our organization, the org, 
we were so inspired. I, well, it started with me. I was so inspired by this whole thing that um, w- just the trailer made me cry. So we contacted Rebecca's organization and asked if we could do a screening and, in the San Diego area. And uh, she said yes. And now, in fact, they're opening up for people to do screenings of this film because it's not out there in the commercial world. And we want, so guys out there, listen, you can, you can do a, a screening in your neighborhood too. Uh, it's, and Rebecca's going to give us a little more information about it. But what I want to tell you is, so our group is in San Diego. So if there's anybody out there listening who's anywhere near the San Diego area, we have a one-time-only slot, August 12th. It's a Wednesday night from 7 to 9 at a beautiful church in San Diego called the Unity Center. And um, what happened was not that long ago, Rebecca said yes, and we went out and we wanted to see if we could get some co-sponsors because we're too small to really you know, do it all by ourselves, and we didn't have a lot of time. And what has happened has just been amazing because while a lot of the funding sources are still thinking inside the box, the feeling of this film and the trailer have ignited the hearts and souls of people who've watched it. For example, let me tell you about our co-sponsors. That means that they're going out there and they're trying to drum up uh, people to buy tickets because we want people to buy tickets so that they'll see this film. Uh, the Unity Center of San Diego, right, where it's going to um, uh, show the First Unitarian Universalist Church of San Diego, the San Diego Women's Drum Circle, and the San Diego Women's Drum Circle is going to be drumming from 630 to 7. <laughs> I, love I love that. I love so that so much. Too. And it was their idea. The mm-hmm. uh, St. Paul's Episcopal Cathedral, Shakti Rising, Plan of Action in a Changing Era, John Falke, Universal Spirit Center, Agape House, and the Metropolitan Community Church of San Diego have all signed on as co-sponsors in a very short period of time. I mean, it's like the, our, our people in, I got in the interrev were just on the phone, but people would just say, oh, my God, that's so exciting. And then <laughs> in addition to that, we have friends of the Radical Grace screening. These are people who have committed to do something to try to help support it. The Voices of Women uh, the San Diego LGBT Community Center, the Seroptimist International of San Diego, Alliance San Diego, Tikkun and Interfaith Magazine, which is national but has some people in San Diego, Seroptimist Poway, San Diego Regional Interfaith Collaborative, and I believe also uh, a, a, um, a rabbi, Laura Kalski, who's into interfaith justice work. I believe she has also signed on. And this is like overnight. So we're sharing the excitement and this is, I consider this an amazing outpouring of support for this film. I would like you to mm-hmm. add to that list, by the way, the men's group, Men and the Inner Revolution. They were also friends of the film. Yes, and the Men and the Inner Revolution have issued a statement about why they are supporting this film, that they have also suffered from this hierarchy, that what men have done to men is just as bad, if not worse, as what men have done to women because, you know, the, the suppression of men and their real emotions and their natural, their, their energies and their true natures and uh, the fear that men have of men and the violence of men have inflicted upon men, well, it's, it's fantastic to see this already. And um, 
So don't be afraid. Uh, you know, if you feel like you are inspired to do something to screen this in your area, Rebecca, what should they do? So on our website, um, the website is radicalgracefilm.com. There's just a simple form um, to, fill, to fill out, and, and we'll receive that, and, and we just get back to, in touch with folks and, and start the conversation. And we're putting together a lot of resources to be able to support people in doing the screening, both a guide um, to just walk folks through the, the steps of putting it together, as well as um, visual tools to be able to share it on social media or to have posters um, and discussion guides. So... Um, Definitely, it's, you know, we're, we're here to support people in the process of sharing the film. Now, that was called RadicalGraceFilm.org. Dot com. Dot com. Okay. Would you erase what I just said? RadicalGraceFilm.com. I'm so into the dot org. By the way, our own group is uh, seeing if we can do a screening in the Phoenix area. And uh, do you think there's any chance that this film might hit, you know, in a more commercial way that it could reach more people, Rebecca? Um, we're going to have a broader release, definitely in terms of like a, a streaming, um, you know, more on-demand release. You oh. know, it's interesting looking, and as well as you know, DVD sales and that kind of thing. Um, with independent films, a lot of the more, you know, like a, a traditional theaters, um, even independent theaters, are, sometimes are, are a great fit. But these community screenings actually, not just with our film, but so many really great independent documentaries really thrive in that space. So, you know, I, I try to look at it as, um, while we welcome any opportunity to share the film broadly, we're really... Um, keyed into the grassroots space because that I think is where people can see the film because it's not just enough to see the film. I think seeing it in community is really powerful yes. um, and, and seeing it in a, in a space where when you're inspired, because I think the story is very inspiring, um, to see it in a space where people are inspired to take action, um, whether that's to move forward on their own inner work, you know, or whether it's a specific social justice action that, that a, a community organization is, is working on who's hosting the film. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the, these grassroots screenings really connect people to a point of action um, and to resources yeah. to take that action. That's such an important point. In fact, at our screening in the San Diego area, we have uh, the director of the interrev.org. She's going to be actually um, leading a discussion Right after the film, because the film is about an hour and a half. Did I remember something right? That's right. Okay. So, <laughs> and so there'll be time, you know, to kind of greet people, but there'll also be time afterwards to lead a discussion about what kind of feelings come up. Because I think that people are going to have a lot of feelings about this film, about the hierarchy, about the church. Uh, a lot of people have a very stereotyped ideas of, nuns of uh, women who bashed their fingers. Uh, and uh, this is not just made up. You know, I have a lot of clients who were brought up with very repressed nuns who were very mean. And um, for so many Catholics uh, that we have talked to, for them to see this film and to hear about 
what the nuns are doing that you are bringing forward gives them such a positive feeling because some of these people as children you know could also feel the value and the mystery and the spirituality of the church but they had so many bad experiences with the doctrine and the meanness and and some of the uh, negativity about sexuality and so on and so they feel so happy that there's something positive that they can respond to that they said oh yes there was something there was a, a, a spark just like we see in Pope Francis a spark of caring and love and spirituality and social justice I, I can't believe we're running out of time Rebecca is there anything you would like to share with uh, people before we we go today um, you know, one other thing that, that I can mention about in terms of how to share the film is that we also have just started the, um, the pre-sale for uh, institutional DVDs for that, so that um, copies that are able to be shown in a classroom setting. Oh, um, wonderful. So if, if people are connected with educational institutions and are interested in it for that purpose, that's, that's going to be, that's available now too, also through our website at, at RadicalGraceFilm.com. I love that. And the idea of streaming, there are so many people in far-flung places who could not, I could not have seen this film, uh, you know, if, if, if I couldn't get it on a, you know, on a computer. So mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that you're doing all of these things. So, James, would you like to tell us what's coming back next week? And then I'll, we'll come back and I'll say goodbye to our lovely guest. Very good. Next week on Inside Out, the other side of Afghan women meet Dr. Sakina Yakubi and see action in, I'm sorry, see courage in action. Uh, Dr. Sakina Zakubi has been honored for her courage and visions under dawning conditions. Uh, she did indeed found uh, the... Uh, 80 schools for the, the, the children of Afghanistan, uh, the girls, the boys. Uh, she has set up the radio station. She's supported health care and all sorts of meetings, all sorts of needs of the people there, despite the threats of death and so on. Uh, so now what, what is going on today? Uh, well, the Taliban is no longer in control, but the Taliban and repressive attitudes towards women still have a hold, as we've just seen in our news. And what's happening now? We often see the anguish of a- Afghan women. So tune in and see the courage that this woman has demonstrated and draw inspiration. And now a final word from Beth. Well, actually, I'd like to give Rebecca a chance to say, how. what do you think was the most inspiring thing for you about this film? You've got like 30 seconds. Well, for me, I really see this film as a lesson about how for me for me what it is 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 a lesson and a model for how to live your social justice calling um and that's inspiring in my life but also after screenings getting to talk to people and hear how they feel that for themselves is is probably the most moving thing beautiful courage in action you had it too i want to thank you so much for being on our show god bless Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Listen for the next edition of Inside Out, The Inner Revolution, with Beth Green and James Maynard, next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think outside the box and have a great week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.